only when they start trading and then there's this mirror, right? Trading is like a mirror. We realize where our gaps are, where our weaknesses are. They have completely unrealistic expectations of themselves. Trader sends me a message back saying that is utterly overwhelming your spreadsheet. And I thought, wow, that is structure. But if you think structure is overwhelming, what chance do you have as a retail trader? And then look at also the extreme athletes in the trading world. They work 15 hours at least, and they have to sacrifice other things in life. Are women better traders than men? Um, I think each have their um, challenges and their strengths. Linda is a big picture visionary. She has a mind that is incredible. She can watch 10, 15 markets at the same time and see the correlations. She has this multidimensional thinking. Welcome to episode 12 of the Alpha Mind podcast. Today's podcast guest is Mandy Poor Rafsanjani. Before we start the interview, I would like to thank the many people who have contacted myself and Mark to thank us for the podcast. What really thrills us is to hear how people are benefited from the podcast and when they tell us how the podcast had a positive impact on their work. Such as a tweet I received this morning from a trader, Ben Hansen, who said... Love the series of podcasts you produce. It's definitely helped me create a more consistent mindset, which in turn has helped me create consistent results. In brackets, after two years of unprofitable whipsaw trading. Thank you. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Ben, for taking the time to respond to us. I also saw a great tweet this morning which said, Podcasts are the private tutors for the masses. And that is so true. So, you know, thank you again for all the great comments and feedback. Uh, we would ask people, if you really love this podcast series, go to iTunes and rate it. The ratings help us climb the rankings on iTunes and bring our podcast to a wide audience. Now, this podcast was somewhat longer than planned, but I promise you the whole podcast is well worth investing the time in. And, you know, if you stop it, make a point of going back to it. Now, without further ado, on with the podcast. Uh, welcome to this week's episode of the Alpha Mind podcast. And today, um, joining myself and my esteemed co-host, Mark Randall, is Mandy Rafsanjani. <laughs> Have I said that correctly? <laughs> you did. It's actually poor Rafsanjani, but who cares about um, details? Okay. <laughs> Ma Mandy poor Rafsanjani, who is... Fantastic. Who works as a coach with traders... Uh, Mandy is, um, she works in Australia, um, currently she's in Europe, where she was originally from in Germany, which is where we're talking to her from. This is, this is going to be a great conversation, I promise you. Mandy is a coach, um, and I, I promise you this chat could go on for about three hours. We're trying to get it within an hour, but we've, we've got a number of themes we want to talk about. I'm going to first of all just hand over to Mandy to to sort of introduce herself. The yeah, audience. thank you so much, Stephen, again, and Mark for inviting me onto your show. I really, really appreciate it. I don't want to talk too much about myself because you only have an hour. Um, in a nutshell, I have been trading for um, almost 20 years. Um, I started trading when there was no internet, when I still had to pick up the phone to call the broker. So the context of trading and the requirements to succeed in trading 
were very, very different. I had to go to seminars and read actual books. Um, there was no such thing as a PDF <laughs> of, um, you know, um, books that someone copied somewhere on the Internet. Um, so it was, I think, much harder than it is today um, to, to succeed in trading. Um, the journey was also much slower thinking back because, you know, as I said, we had to read books. We had to um, go to seminars, to physical seminars. There was no such thing as webinars. So being forced to slow down the trading journey, I think in hindsight, is, is a positive. On the flip side, we didn't have as much access to information as there is today. Um, and I know you guys, you started well before the Internet as well. So you will understand what I'm talking about. So I, out of my own misery, <laughs> I started um, looking at my mindset uh, in terms of I, I, I didn't know before I started trading that I was highly neurotic, that I wasn't a functional human being. And um, I thought life is just tough. And I thought that people are not nice people. And, you know, that was my experience of life. And I thought that was really normal which reminds me of um, a quote from someone, I can't remember who said it, but um, this person basically said, if you stand long enough in a sewage, you don't smell the shit anymore. And this is what I see with many, many people as well. They don't experience, they don't realize how neurotic they are. And only when they start trading, and then there's this mirror, right? Trading is like a mirror. We realize where our gaps are, where our weaknesses are, and then we start working on them. So even if you don't make it uh, to become successful traders, at least there's one upside that we become more functional in our normal life. And I always say anyone can become a successful trader, anyone who, is, um, who doesn't have any, any mental challenges or so in terms of um, illnesses um, can become a successful trader. It's just we need to work on ourselves um, as much as on our strategy, as you guys, of course, agree. So my journey was pretty much the first five, six years was pretty much all about figuring out how I can become a more functional human being. Then in 2007, I had lunch with my broker, and um, he asked me a few questions, and I answered the questions, and he said, wow, you know, I... Um, always wanted to have someone like you on, on um, in, uh, working with or helping with our work with our traders. And so at that time, I was already a qualified life coach and had already um, completed my NLP or neuro linguistic programming training. And so they took me on a, on a tour around Australia um, where we went to um, the main five capitals. And that was my introduction into uh, working in the field of trading psychology. Before, I was working more as a life coach and um, also a money coach. But that was then when I started my trading mindset, trading psychology at the time. You could still call it trading psychology because there was no, you know, now everything has to be politically correct. Um, my website is tradingpsychology.com.au, but... Today, I wouldn't call it this uh, name anymore because then people come and they assume that you're a psychologist. And um, if you're not a psychologist, then you get you know, hunted down on social media. Um, so, yeah, over the years, of course, I have kept working on myself and added more elements to my trading uh, mindset work and also to my own trading work um, like you guys have. 
So, as you just said, you know, world is ever evolving, ever changing, and there's always new exciting insights. Like, you know, there's been so much work into the um, how the brain functions now with the heart math work, for example, how the heart and the brain interact. Um, the meditation and mindfulness work that Mark is um, doing that's also so super exciting because we have seen it has been proven how that can impact not only our trading, our whole life. And so this is pretty much uh, where I'm coming from, um, also because I'm just so interested in it, not just for my own trading, but also generally as, a, as an interest in human behavior. So, yeah, and here we are today. <laughs> well, fabulous. So you, you began as, a, I guess, a sole trader, as it were, a day trader. But, um... That's correct, yes. <clears throat> then accessed market, and you, you talked a lot in, in that sort of uh, that, that that very interesting sort of um, start to the chat about success uh, and successful traders. Mm -hmm. But from your perspective, what what do you think is a successful trader? Um. So, I mean, the bottom line is or the benchmark that we need to use is a, a trader who is able to pay the bills and um, who has a certain element of freedom, I guess. Freedom is what I see a high, uh, something that a lot of traders um, um, hope for to gain, um, that they don't need to work with um, their bosses who are nasty or that they um, can, like, you know, like I do now, um, spending three times in Europe, uh, three months in Europe, um, six months in Australia, I was a month in America, just having the freedom to to be wherever I want to be. Yeah, so, so and, it's like a, mm -hmm. achieving a certain lifestyle is, uh, yeah. um, I guess, individually we have uh, different measures as to... Uh, just, just what that means. For some people, it may be just a lot of holidays. Other people, a good amount of spare time, time mm -hmm. with the family. Others, it'll be collecting as many uh, Lamb Lamborghinis as they can get their hands on. I mean, we measure it very, very differently. <laughs> uh, exactly. That, and that perspective is very interesting because if you ask many, many people, it's, uh, you get very, very different answers. So in a, an individual's own journey, will almost define what their version of success is. Um, yeah. And it's not necessarily a huge amount of money. Sometimes it's just more balance. Um, uh, so it's very, very interesting. You also talked about um, your your journey of, uh, of switching into actually understanding that mindset was was really important to nurture. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, when you began that journey, what was your first sort of wow moment? What so you, what do you think? Okay, this is interesting. What, what can you remember a moment when you thought, okay? I get it. Um, in terms of, um, I yeah, get it, how this function I was? Started, there was a change in the way you behaved. Mm -hmm. um, no, I can't remember, to be honest. It was all gradual, you know. It was it was really such that I thought, oh, now I got it. Now, now I know what to do. And then it was merely that I had progressed, but not found the holy grail as yet. But you're still searching. <laughs> yeah, we, we always keep searching. Our life changes. This uh, 
your guardian angel and uh, the, the the positive mindset that comes with it. No, it's uh, yeah, yeah, we're all on that journey, I think. And, and the thing is, you know, we have um, resolved one issue in our life, and and then you know the external life changes. Like as we get older, maybe our parents get sick, and then we have a different circumstance that we need to deal with that impacts our trading, right? Um, uh, we we maybe have an illness that we deal with um, personally that we need to, or, you know, divorce. Um, a child gets sick, whatever it is. So that's why the journey never ends because we are constantly um, confronted with different challenges. But there's there's something interesting which I, I kind of recognise both in that mm -hmm. question mark that you asked and and in Mandy's introduction, where you know somewhere after you start trading at some point you realise that. There's only so much it's about what you do, uh, and then it becomes about how you are. Um, mm -hmm. I, I always call it, it, it's the being, not the doing, that is the real challenge of trading. You know, we, we start by learning what to do. You know, we learn how markets work. We learn how to how to have certain strategies and approaches. We, we learn to analyze markets. We learn to do the physical aspects of trading markets. Um, that those are the early years, but then there becomes a point where I think every trader realizes that this is actually more mental than physical. And I remember going through that journey myself as a trader, yeah. when I started to ask the questions, you know, why why can't I seem to get past these behaviors? Why do I keep doing the same thing? This is largely in my head that, you know, more so than it's to do with um, the physical market. And I started reading. That, that's where my, my curiosity about this journey started happening. I started reading some of the very early psychology of trading books and, um, you know, the original market wizards not long after it first came out. And then, of course, reminiscences of a stock operator. There, there weren't too many books written in the 80s and 90s, but there were a couple of like huge books um, which touched upon it. And, and you realize that this is the battle that you've got to win. And I think everyone goes through that that point at some point. I don't know. You you asked the question mark to Mandy. When would it happen? I'm guessing it was somewhere around four or five years into my career. Uh, um, I guess it may have happened when you had your first serious loss. Oh, definitely. You know, when you suddenly hang, hang on, this isn't so easy. This this is uh, this has got risks that I didn't realise. Uh, some things happened that <clears throat> you know, wasn't on my radar. Uh, I thought I knew everything, um, and I thus and, I, and I've had this impact that's that, that's, that's hit me hard, um, that's forced me to take another look at, you know, managing me because I've, you know, you, you, you may have become ill. I mean, you know, we know that sometimes people can have breakdowns. But, you know, if uh, if losses are significant and, and are out of the blue, I've I've seen it happen. Um, and that's when you start to think there's a part of me that I've not really managed up to now that I now need to start managing. I need to start learning about it. Um, and I think that's where people's journeys begin after some sort of shock. And in the trading world, that would be something that happened that was totally unexpected. And of course, it can also happen that, um, you know, some sort of toxic relationship within a business but have also triggered um, an event to make you think differently about how you are managing yourself and your in interaction with others as well. So it's not just market, it's more sort of the, the social network that comes with it as well. Yeah, for me, it was more the other way around. As I said, I wasn't aware of how, how 
neurotic I was. And um, when I started trading, everybody was talking about discipline, and I said, many times now, um, I thought I'm German. We, you know, we are, we we invented discipline, and that will not be a problem for me. I didn't have a concept of what discipline meant, and um, only learned that or realized that when I was um, when I started trading. And so um, I still didn't connect my poor trading results with my mindset or my psychology. Um, I thought I just didn't know enough. So I went from one seminar to the other to the other, read more books and more books and more books. And then a friend of mine, she said, go to this um, seminar, seminar, which was called uh, Landmark Education. Um, one of the um, well-known Australian educators at the time did that seminar, and then it changed his trading. And so I thought, okay, I'll do that too. It's just $500. Who cares? Right? So that was more my my pathway. And then when I was in the Landmark Forum, I was like, fuck, sorry for swearing, but that's really what I thought. Oh, fuck, you know. I, I'm, I'm completely dysfunctional. I did not realize. And that's when I then started my journey. Okay. Well, well, then well, I still well. thought it's lack of knowledge. You know what? It's, it's really interesting, but until you actually, I mean, one of, one of the things I was thinking when you gave your interview was, um, is it, were, you, were you trading on your own from home? Yes. Yes. So, yeah. so one of the things that I, I think we had as an advantage, Mark, and, you know, one of the things that was part of becoming a trader in the 90s or the 80s, which was when I started, was that you, you didn't, you know, you didn't have this facility to trade from home. So you had to trade in a trading room. You know, I worked in a bank trading room. Um, and most people's journey into trading in those days was that sort of introduction. You got a job in a bank. Um, but there were also other trading rooms. There was, I know a lot of people that started off in private trading rooms or prop, prop trading rooms or started on the floor um, on a futures exchange. So you always had constant feedback going on around you. Mm-hmm. And you also had people, other people would be curious about their behaviors, you know, and why is that guy doing that? And why, you know, so you had an enormous amount of sensory information and feedback around you. And I, I, I really struggled to wonder how the, you know, the, the private retail traders, and many of them will be listening to this, how they do it on their own from home without that sensory feedback going on around you, giving you information. It must be so much harder. Yeah, not only that, you know, it's also um, they have completely unrealistic expectations of themselves. There is um, a tendency of perfectionism I see a lot. Um, There is the, um, you know, they don't know if they're doing well or not doing well. And and sometimes I show my traders my results and, you know, I, I show them that I take $20 profits. And they think that's ridiculous. And then I show how twenty, fifty, seventy dollar profits can actually turn into a thousand dollar day because then I also get a big move. And and so, you know, they have no concept of what it takes to succeed. It's completely unrealistic. Yeah. Yeah. Do do, do you think nowadays, um, I mean in our in well, our our old days of of what we would say, Stephen, were proper markets. <laughs> and we had the support and the banter, and uh, you had sort of a relief valve within a trading room. You know, you had. Yeah. Massively, massively. Um, and, and that allowed you to de stress and to reconsider ideas and to 
you know, to sort of manage yourself in a sort of a social way. And you had someone to speak to and someone to go and have a coffee exactly. with or a drink with. And that was exactly. readily there. And it's not there, obviously, for these people that are sitting at home. And it's really the, the, the people that are sitting at home trading now are really in this in this game. That's all like the gamification of trading. Um, so they are playing a game, but of course, it's it's a game with only a certain limited amount of information that's visible at any one time. Um, and it's so incredibly be, hard, yeah. Yeah, you've got to be in that game, literally, to be uh, taking full advantage of it. Uh, and getting into the game is the difficult thing. And, you know, in, in a trading room, you're in the game. You know, you're seeing the flows, hearing the flows, you're part of the culture, you're seeing research, seeing news streams, uh, all that's going on. Um, someone at home doesn't necessarily have that luxury. Uh, and so it's tough. But I've also not got the social connectivity to turn around to someone and start having a chat. Well, maybe, maybe a partner or whatever, but someone that understands what they're doing and understands the frustration of maybe, you know, a difficult day and what a difficult day really, really means. Um, yeah. So I think it's that I think the world has evolved, and with that, you know, the game is changing, uh, and more people are, you know, are retiring from this business or coming out from the outside into the world of trading without actually having a trading back background, and and they're treating it as a game. I think there are some positives about that, but there are also some huge negatives. You know, um, it's it's um, really interesting that you say that because um, when I was in Chicago. I met quite a few um, ex-pit traders, and I say exactly that. You know, after after the trading day, they would meet in this place. I can't remember where it was, somewhere in in BME, and they would have a drink together and smoke a cigar together and put everything into perspective and share their stories. And there was also a lot of camaraderie where when someone didn't do well, um, you know, someone would help him out. We yeah, don't have yeah. that because what we also do as retail traders, we don't tell the truth, right? We pretend we've got it all handled. Well, we had a, a really good interview with a guy called Adam Nash a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's on one of our earlier podcasts. And Adam was telling the story of when he started on the floor, the life floor in London, which is like the Chicago pit. Mm -hmm. And he, he'd come from ba a bank trading background. And it's it's a very different approach. And he said that he had a couple of guys took him under his wing. They could see that he wasn't really trading in the right way, the right manner yeah. for trading on the floor, which is, you know, the term. So they took him under his wing and, and sort of mentored him. And it had a huge influence on his life. Um, I, I, I've experienced what you described, you know, when I worked in banks. We'd go down the pub sometimes at lunchtime sometimes in the afternoon with a group of traders and a group of brokers. And there was this, you know, this kind of band of brothers mentality. You know, one minute you were ripping each other apart. Another minute you were putting an arm around each other and sort of just being supportive. And, you know, yeah. and, and you'd hear, you know, you'd get the, you, you had the braggers came along, you know, and you a little bit like, the you know, the Twitter guys now, they never, ever lost. Mm -hmm. or they tell you when they did lose, it was so huge that you gave an impression of, God, these guys are big traders. They must make so much money. Yeah. Um, so, so you did have that in a way. But you started to identify the bullshit merchants pretty quickly, which is what I think you, you start to identify on Twitter as well. And, and 
you can mute them. But you, you know, you, you, that social anger, and you know, I think Twitter. There is a good side to Twitter. I think the FinTwit community is terrific. You know, when you start to recognise some of the sort of great characters in there, and some mm. of the, you know, the, the really good people, and then you maybe join a, a chat room. But it can take quite a few years, and, and already many people have failed by then. You know, so you know, it's, it, it is. I mean, I, I, I work with some private traders, and you know, I say to them, you know, you've got to get out there. You've got to socialise. Yeah, it is so hard doing it on your own. That's the other challenge, right? So yes, you know you should socialize. And uh, when you have started your life as a trader, you can't relate to um, people who don't trade anymore. All you want to do is talk about trading, right? You want to talk about finance. And then, um, um, you know, that that's then the next challenge. Also, the impact it has on the family when you suddenly can't, have a normal conversation anymore because all you want to do is talk about trading. <laughs> um, so it, it is incredibly hard and there have been um, lots of attempts to, to remedy that, you know, with chat rooms, with, you know, the Discord rooms are now um, the fashion, fashionable thing and um, Slack rooms, but it's still not the same as um, being in a room with people face-to-face -face and seeing their pain, experiencing their pain, um, seeing the stress on their face. You, the you don't trade. get that over the internet. Yeah, the, the, the pain trade. And, and there's so much information in that as well, which is, yeah. you know, it, it, it might be wrong. It might sound like it's wrong to say, you know, I'm seeing everyone else's pain and I'm using that to trade. But that is just sensory information that's, that's yeah. out there. You know, and you, you, you feel it on the lines when you watch the market. You can sometimes, you know, when, when you do it for many years, you start to recognize the pain trade in the price action. Yeah, exactly. And then um, traders, how do they learn trading? Well, draw a line here, draw a line there. And if the moving averages cross, then you go long or short. And, and that's what I see a lot in my work with traders. They don't necessarily have mindset problem. They just have no understanding of the market, no understanding of how it works. And, um, you know, I uh, just ran with a trader who found it hard to articulate his trading strategy. So I sent him my um, spreadsheet, which is very um, organized, right? So um, you enter when um, these and these and these parameters are met, right? And you tick them off. And it's about, I think, five, five levels deep. And um, this trader sends me a message back saying that is utterly overwhelming, your spreadsheet. And I thought, wow, that is structure. So if you think structure is overwhelming, what chance do you have as a retail trader? So the yeah. question is also, what do traders expect from trading? Do they want a moving average crossover or do they want to really understand the markets? And and become proficient in trading. That's what I see a lot as well, that that's not what they want. They want an easy, simple, step-by-step -step system as it is um, written in marketing material when someone wants to sell their system. Well, I, I always tell people that if you want to succeed at trading, you know, being good is not good enough. You know, you have yeah. to become outstanding. You have to become excellent. You know, yeah. you have to become the best of the best. You know, I, I was, there was a great piece of research, I, I may have mentioned this to you, Mark, um, done by um, a couple of academics from 
uh, University of California, Berkeley, uh, mm-hmm. and it was led by two guys called Barbara and Odine. Uh, and yes, yeah. They studied 15 years worth of day trading data from the, uh, I think it was a Taiwanese stock exchange, and this was over 400,000 traders. And they analysed that, you know, to see whether there was any, you know, what was the percentage of people that that became successful within that group? How many? Mm-hmm. You know, what proportion? Was there skill involved? And they they found that in any one year, about 20% of the traders made money. But what they also found was that, you know, one year's performance doesn't mean they're a successful trader. It's whether they can succeed year after year after year. And whether those, you know, whether those, you know, that performance covers all trading costs and covers their living costs and the returns that they would make, they would need to make, you know, compared to alternative options such as work, real work. And, um, (laughs) you know, they found that it was less than 1% were what they claimed able to succeed in trading over the long term. And I think only about an eighth of that made exceptional returns. You know, that, that, that was just about covering costs. So, you know, if, if, if you define success in those ways, less than 1% of all people that enter into day trading actually succeed. And, now, and let's that was have before, a look at what it takes. Yeah, right, that, that was before the day of algos, so it's probably much less. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, you know, you, you have to become exceptional. And if you're not willing to do what you said with that spreadsheet and go to that sort of depth, well, then you're not going to succeed. You're setting yourself back on day one. Yeah. And then also what I also see is um, um, my life sucks. My boss sucks. My family sucks. I want to escape this. Trading is the answer. And I'm like, only when you realize to be grateful for your family that there's actually someone who put his um, crown jewels on the uh, on the table to run a business so that you can have a job and you are grateful for that. You know, so it's about being realistic about the challenges of running a business and being an employee. Only when you become realistic about those things, you will make it as a as a trader. And and if you need to um, become a trader to escape your life that you hate so much, you will never make it. And now reason. let's look at. It's the wrong reasons. Yeah, yeah. And the, the intention is so important in life. The intention really determines um, success. And in, in, um, that's what I really believe in strongly. Now, when you look at someone who's an extreme athlete, like Serena Williams, like Federer, like uh, Tiger Woods, um, and then look at also the extreme athletes in the trading world, they work all 15 hours at least, and they have to sacrifice other things in life, but no one wants to sacrifice for that. And you need to choose, right? You need to choose. You can't have a six-pack and um, look stunning when you sit 12 or 15 hours behind a computer. Very interesting. I think when we, when you, when we spoke a moment ago, or you spoke a moment ago about uh, that um, study from California, where you know, like an an eight eight percent of the one percent were the mm-hmm. extreme successful traders. If you'd have lined up that that that, that list of uh, men and women that were traders, uh, and were to interview them and to try to work out who were 
those top traders. Mm-hmm. You'd probably get it wrong, seriously, seriously wrong because, um, you know, what's on the outside is not what's on the inside. And actually, you know, I certainly from what Steve and I have talked about in the past is that it's the people that are quiet, people that are, have got good process, people that are well-managed, people who have got good family balance um, tend to be the good traders, the, the exceptional traders. The people that are loud, the people that are boasty, the people that are sort of fragile, the people sort of of a negative mindset with, with challenges in the background tend not to be the good traders. And so, That's because how you do one thing, you do everything, right? We, we've heard that. Too much clutter. There's, you know, trading requires clarity of mind, it, control, composure, calmness as well. Um, and, of course, that stems from what's going in, in, on in your world in the background. And if that's chaos, um, then you're not going to be bringing a, a, a calm nature to, you know, to observe and to interrogate and to, uh, to function in, in, in the marketplace. And so that's why um, the very first job that I do as a, as a trading coach with my traders, which I had to do in my own life as well, is they have to clean up their life first before they can become traders. And um, so if someone doesn't have structure and routine in their normal life, how are they going to implement structure and routine in their trading life? Um, yeah. They will yeah. not know I... how to do that. And this is exactly the... Um, What's, what's happening with this trader that I just mentioned before, this trader's life is completely messy. It's a mess. Yeah. And so, mm -hmm. of course, as soon as uh, someone who has a messy life sees structure, they feel overwhelmed. Because if they didn't feel overwhelmed, they would have structure in their life, right? Yeah, you, you, you have to have complete clarity. You know, I, I, I was, you know, a couple of times actually in the past, I've been approached by, um, by wealth managers you know, who have felt, you know, I can connect them to some very wealthy individuals and wealthy traders. Um, and then I get talking to them and I say, like, I don't do introductions. I don't sell on, you know, other businesses, but I do talk to them. And, you know, I say, look, one of the things you're going to get when you work with traders, if you're a wealth manager, is most of them are going to have a very, very simple investment structure outside of their trading. And they said, yeah, I noticed that. They said they go for the plainest, most vanilla sort of investments, you know, I always expect them to have the sort of really high turnover accounts with lots of stock trading going on. And I said, no, you, you have to understand that their life is like that every single day. So they want as much simplicity and structure outside their life so and they can focus. Team. Yeah, so they can focus on what they do in their day, which is dealing with high risk and in, you know, incredible volatility by the second. And you know, a few years ago, I was asked to work with a trader, a private trader, and uh, he'd been working for about 10 years. He'd been very successful, but he'd hit the rocks over the previous three years. Mm -hmm. And when he started, you know, I asked him all about his life, and then he started to tell me that he'd, he'd bought into this business about four years ago, and it was a property business, and it kind of taken him over a little bit. And yeah, you know, it done okay, but it hadn't made anything. It, or in other words, the losses that really outweighed what he was making on this property business. Yeah, you because know, he was a. This was a guy who was a seven-figure guy, and now he was struggling to break even these last two or three years. You know, I said, look, it sounds like you have to offload this property business or get someone else to completely manage it for you, and you're not involved in it. And he he he, dis, he, he divested he divested it in the end. 
and then he got back to making money again. Yeah, it can be that simple. Why isn't yet so complicated? I think when you're in it, you forget it a little bit, like your sewage comment at the very beginning. And and you know, to to give another example that's in the same line, I was working uh, with a um, guy who was trading in a hedge fund, and um, he was seven figures for many many years until the divorce came. Right. Ah. Uh, it is also something that has such an incredible impact on on our human behavior that it needs to be taken serious, and yeah, that we then yeah. need to scale back until that mess is being cleaned up and new routines have been implemented. Because when we look at what divorce does, or you know, in your example with your trader having another business, that um, number one has an impact on our ability to focus and to. Um, have all our time and our mind in, uh, in in the trading world, which it needs to be. And also it has an impact on our identity, who we know ourselves to be. And that is um, what needs to be worked on, helping the trader to create this new identity and knowing themselves as someone who is now a divorced trader. And then when the kids yeah. involved and, and so on, that's it's messy stuff that needs to be dealt with. Oh, totally, totally. Listen, Mandy, one of the subjects, we had a lot of subjects we wanted to bring mm -hmm. up, and um, you know, I think already we've we've covered a lot of ground and not sort of moved there. Um, one of the, you're our first female guest. Um, <laughs> and um, so you have that honor. And, and one of the sort of questions I have is, you know, sort of about, you know, female traders. There's there's a lot written about about you know sometimes people saying that you know women make better traders than men because of this, or men make better traders than women because of this. Um, I'd, I'd really love to hear your your thoughts and perspectives on this. Yeah, thank you, thank you for that, and also thank you for the honor to be the first um, female trader. Now, even that is politically incorrect nowadays, Stephen, isn't it? I know, I feel that as I, as, I, as, I, as I was saying it, I was wondering, if I, is anyone going to listen to this and go? Uh, yes. You're going to get uh, caught by me there too in terms of gender <laughs> fluidity. We are <laughs> all the same, traders, audit, right? right? <laughs> I'm cool with it as well. And I, I, we, we, I mean, we, we are different and, you know, it's you, you can't help that. And, you know, the, we, we have different, the, you know, the, some of the, you know, we, we a few years ago we did, um, we did, um, uh, some analysis for an asset management firm and we use this tool which measures people's personalities and there is a gender difference in the in people's risk personalities women bias towards one type of personality not to say they don't have all of them within their group and men are biased towards a different set of personalities and this investment management firm stopped us working with them because you said well you finding this data out conflicts with our gender neutrality policy and uh, we can't work with you anymore and I was like this is crazy because this is actually the real world you know you want to create a greater gender balance within your business and it's probably going to have a positive effect on your business but you don't want to recognize the differences which means you're not actually going to be helping some of your female uh, asset managers to come on in the firm in the right way you're going to be giving them the same exactly the same sort of training or development and support as the men but in certain ways they need different support 
and you're going to make it harder for them. Uh, they didn't want to hear that. I, I'm, I'm really curious on, on to hear what you have to say about that. So, again, uh, you know, it's, it's not that clear cut. Are women better traders than men? Um, I think each have their um, challenges and their strengths. And it's about working, you know, as, as you said in our initial conversation, working with our strengths, whatever they are. And I read uh, Tim Ferriss' book, um, Titans, Titans, can't even remember the title, didn't pay attention. But um, he, he also says, that, so he interviewed like the best, the most successful people in the world. And he identified that all they did was having these one or two strengths and then developing those and completely disregarding anything else. And any weakness that they had, they would um, try to complement with um, strategic thinking, so finding solutions to offset them or um, employing staff and or employing staff that would um, fill in those gaps. So what is it that makes a successful trader? So if you look at all the... Uh, parameters. So we need to have a proven trading methodology. That's where it already started the problem, right? Where do we get yeah. a proven trading methodology? Most of my retail traders have this challenge. They get into a trading course, they um, go into a chat room, and yet they haven't seen any real trading um, statements, so they don't have proof that the methodology works. And yet, no. they buy into that on the promise. Yeah. That is my first question to your strategic thinking, my friend, I say. <laughs> right? It's like, how can you make a decision on simply what someone tells you? And I'm, you know, I'm not the last one to judge, right? I'm, I'm, everybody can do what they want to do. But how, do, how is my decision-making process already in initial stages when I buy a trading course? Yeah, yeah, and, and I, I say to people, you know, often, you know, actually your success, your edge is your strengths, and that's what you need to leverage, because a lot of people will come to me and say, I've got this weakness, I've got this weakness, I've got this weakness, and I want to, yeah. I want to sort them out, and I say, well, what are your strengths? And, and quite often they'll sit there for a second and ponder it, and, and often they say, well, I'm not actually sure, and I say, well. It's your strengths that will be the key to your success, not overcoming your weaknesses. If you work on just overcoming your weaknesses, all that's going to happen is you're going to fail a little bit more slowly. But we need to find your strengths and how you can leverage those more effectively. And, and I'm just going to butt in here with a book because sometimes guests have mentioned books and then people contacted me afterwards and said, what was the name of that book? So the book was Tools of Titans. The tactics, routines, and habits of billionaires, icons, and world-class performers. And that's by Timothy Ferris. And I haven't read the book, but I've read about the book. And I'm going to actually put it on my reading list, because so many people have told me what a great book it is. We will return to the podcast shortly. Alpha Mind is a collaboration between Stephen Goldstein and Mark Randall. Stephen is a former professional trader who now works as a coach to people and businesses in the financial markets. His business, Alpha RQ, provides mindset coaching to traders and investment professionals and executive and team coaching and leadership development to financial market businesses. You can check out Stephen's work on his website, alphaRcubed.com. 
Mark Randall has over 30 years working as a professional broker. Mark used mindfulness techniques to help him optimize his performance as a broker. Later, he started giving talks, seminars and workshops to corporate leaders and investment bankers about how to apply mindfulness to work more effectively and productively. If you are interested to know more about Mark and how he can help you in your business, he can be contacted at CEO at MarkRandallConsultancy.com. Now back to the podcast. Yes, I loved him, Ferris, because he thinks outside the box. And here comes our second um, trait of successful traders. They know how to think. And so when we look at learning how to think, where do we learn that? From our families, supposedly at school, which I didn't, supposedly at university, which I did a little. Not everyone went to university. So now let's look at males and females um, learning to, to think as a few, and that I, ne I can only talk for about my generation, right? So the younger generation nowadays might be different, but I was being brought up on being the nice girl. And being a nice girl, I always needed to be focused on my emotions, right? Being caring for others. Um, there was no strategic thinking involved. Whereas my brother was always um, um, praised for being so smart and being successful. So that, that was his challenge, right, that he had to live up to. My brother is a successful lawyer, incredibly strategic thinker. That's and so I wonder if it had been the other way around, if I had been praised for being smart, if my life had been different. Right, okay. Yeah. So if you take so, so, that now into the context of female traders and male traders, right, apart from that we don't have enough, um, well, I, I don't have any statistics on women. So all I can draw on is my own experience as a, as a female trader and also the female traders that I have worked with. But um, if we look at the ability to um, recover, because that's actually the, the definition of health in a human being, um, how quickly one is able to recover from an illness, that is health. It is not the sustaining of um, the absence of health, which most actually, um, um, assume it is. So if we look at the, um, as a, um, if you look at a trader, um, a successful trader, in terms of ability to recover from a setback, how do you think, in your experience, uh, are men and women different? From what I've experienced, I always felt that the women recovered far quicker than the men. I always felt they were emotionally stronger. And that might actually surprise a few people listening. But I think women are emotionally stronger because they're more open with their emotions whereas men tend to suppress their emotions. And they don't go anywhere. They just stay within you and they become problematic. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've, you know, the, the women that I've worked with were far better with emotions than men. Um, and now we traders. can go back to um, how women have um, been brought up, generally speaking, because again, it, every culture is different. Every societal background is different. Um, women have been allowed to be more emotional um, and men, so boys have been encouraged to be, you know, uh, in, in German we have this saying, um, um, red Indians, American Indians don't cry, right? So he wasn't allowed to cry, he wasn't allowed to be emotional as a, as a boy. Yeah, and it's, I mean, they, they, they love in the, in the, sometimes, you know, they love within the coaching sessions that they're allowed to be emotional. Yeah. And, I, you know, I had one guy who just started getting up and walking around. 
And I was saying to him, what's going on? And he's going, I've never expressed these emotions before. And this trader, he, he was a big trader at, um, at this firm. I mean, he, he was running some of the biggest currency books. And, you know, collectively throughout the day, his trades sometimes could add up to billions of dollars. And, you know, sometimes he was running risk intraday and even overnight of size, of, you know, it could be over $100 million. And, you know, he was quoting hedge funds, other investment banks, corporate clients. So, you know, there was a huge element of emotion in his work that was building up within him. And, and when he had a chance to vent this and express it within this environment, and he started pacing around saying that, you know, he's been working over 20 years and he's never spoken about these things before. You know, he said, you know, just, just talking about it was clearing his head. And he felt that if he could do this more often and more regularly, you know, he, he would be more stable during the day, would make better decisions, could be more objective. And, and you know, this is the thing that I think, at least in my experience of, of talking to traders, you know, female and men, and I, I don't have many female traders amongst my clients. And I think that's just a factor of the fact that there are, there are so few within this industry. But my experience of them, they are far better at doing this. And, and therefore, they are more objective. And I, I think that's a big point. The only time you do express it is when you express anger. You know, you yeah. smash the phone anger up. Anger is allowed, right? Yeah, that births out. But you're not allowed, to, you know, and, and maybe joy every now and then, you know, the, the punching of the air, which is, you know, which is a sign that something's about to go wrong from my own experiences. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, you, it, it, it comes out in a fit of anger, though. It doesn't come out. Yeah. In there's no, you know, it just bursts out when you're extremely peaked, but it won't come out regularly. You don't talk about it. You don't share it. You know, you take it home, which was a problem my wife used to complain about. You know, she used to, you know, she used to tell me, you know, I used to hate it when I could, I could hear the way you put your key in the front door, or even the way your car pulled into the drive. Yeah. I knew, oh my God, he's going to be in a, in a, he's going to be in a dreadful mood this evening. You know, so but I, I was holding it in, thinking, well, I don't want to tell my wife that I've had a bad day. I'm going to just try and pretend everything's okay. Yeah, and but then I look it. again at how um, girls are being brought up, generally speaking, and and guys. So for girls, anger is not allowed. Sadness is allowed. So um, when you look at when you when you speak to each trader in what was allowed in your family, what emotion was allowed, um, mostly with guys it is anger was allowed, sadness not. So and then they go into trading and then they're faced with all these emotions and of course they can't express them because that wasn't allowed in their family. It's super interesting, isn't it? Because of course we all have phases in our life. So. Um, you know, what we were allowed in our 20s may not may have been very different to what we were allowed in our teens that may have been very different when we were eight. Yeah. Um, when we were a child, we could, um, we could, you know, the, the, the difference between sexes when you're a child, perhaps in terms of behavior, apart from certain expectations of behavior, actually mm -hmm. in terms of play, in terms of reaction and emotion around reaction, was very similar, you know. As a, as a kid, yeah, cried. 
So I think as a as a youngster, when we're uh, closest to our natural self, where we haven't been designed by our life journey, uh, our behaviour was very, very similar between males and females. It's just that dependent upon your journey, you could be reconditioned to, you know, behave differently. So I think it's not so general. I think it does depend upon the journey. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a multidimensional topic we're talking about. I don't think it's binary. And I think in trading rooms, I think t typically they tend to have evolved as, certainly in the 80s, as sort of a, a place for men. And of course, that's now changing. Yeah, um, and, and that was another point that I uh, wanted to bring up. I, I know from own experience, as well as seeing others, um, that women did not get the chances that men get, got because men in prop firms and hedge funds like to have their little spaces in broken firms as well. I was working with a broker in 2009 and, um, you know, the Christmas party was, there was a boat, um, it was in Sydney, it was a boat with um, half-naked women. So, of course, I don't want to employ female brokers. And I don't know if that happened in hedge funds as well. I don't have this experience. But there was this protective um, cultural element as well, and, and there's no judgment in it, right? I have no problems with it, um, but that's that's the reality that I saw. I don't think you're not far wrong. I think there was just, you know, it wasn't so long ago that you you joined a golf club and you know, ladies weren't allowed there, they weren't allowed here. They, were, you know, the, the world's moved on. Okay, so yeah. we're now getting this um, very very different complexion for how businesses are run. Um, the, the concept of balance is going to evolve even more to what it is now, mm. and that's good. So having an emotional mix within trading rooms is going to evolve because we know the world is changing. So, so going forward, really I, I think it's going to be a much more diverse and inclusive environment because of the, the force of change that's going on. Um, and that's good for trading. You know, it, it should be. It should be, it but should, it's still it not. It's still not happening. Then understanding people's individual strengths that may be very different at a, at a performance level yeah. and by merit and by performance, the right person gets the job. Yeah, yeah exactly. So the question is, how do we bring out the best in each trader? Um, maybe, um, you know, as uh, to finish up the conversation, um, how would we bring out the best in a female trader compared to a male trader? Um, is that even necessary? Because I believe if you are a female um, being brought up with certain elements, let's say um, being a firstborn or being a thirdborn, so being always the little one compared to being the one who needs to be more responsible, that will impact your trading journey. So um, I did a lot of work on Linda Rushke, for example, and um, I was lucky enough to spend um, four weeks in her trading room and seeing how she works and, um, you know, her behavioral patterns and her personality. And I have her permission to talk about it, which is uh, great. She is so super generous. Um, she okay. always says to me, whatever helps traders, feel free to share. Um, and it is always done in, in most respectful way, um, I hope. Um, that, that yeah, Lin being seen. Mm -hmm. Linda is a great example, and I, I saw her give yeah. a talk once at the uh, Society of Technical Analysts in London. Yeah. Um, and she was, she was, it was a very impressive talk, and she was a very impressive talker. Um, and I mean, I'd, I'd love to have her on the program one day, 
or as, as a guest because you know sort of hear, hearing you know from my experience hearing a woman's um, perspectives on trading and that the sort of the women that I do work with and have worked with they do have a slightly different outlook it, almost as a theme um, and it's it always feels far less egotistical it, it, it's almost like that is one of the big advantages I don't know this um I know traders who have an enormous ego and they're some of the best traders in the world. Yeah, but in their trading, I've met these guys who they have this big ego outside, but they are so humble in their trading and people are shocked. Very true. You know, so it's it's almost like yeah. they have two different personas, which is, you know, and I've known this with some of the, the hedge fund managers, you know, that I, I come to start working with them. And I'm thinking, you know, they're going to be telling me about how amazing they are because that's that's how the outside world sees them. And yet they are anything like that, you know, in their trading. They are completely the other way around. You know, they've even talked to me about, you know, you know, sort of being a little bit worried that they're going to be found out. <laughs> there's there's an imposter syndrome going on because they are so humble. How you draw this um, this contrast where there might be um, um, very outgoing and larger than life in the external world, but when it comes to trading, they're very different. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think it really comes down to are we looking at? So I think there has been some research done that forty percent of um, our life is based on genetics and 60% based on learned behaviors. So our genetics are our genetics. We can never become a marathon runner if we are built for sprinting. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. We know what we are um, born for. So Linda is a big picture visionary. She has a mind that is incredible. She can watch 10, 15 markets at the same time and see the correlations. She can. Um, she has this multidimensional thinking. However, she is really bad at detail. And she told me many stories where she, you know, put on the wrong contract size, pressed the wrong button. Um, so we can't be a marathon runner and a sprinter at the same time. So we need to choose one. And again, going back to finding a proven trading methodology, how many traders know themselves so well that they know the criteria on how to choose a methodology? They don't, right? My experience. No. Um, no. And so Linda is, she knows her strengths. She's a visionary. And she yeah. knows the detail is not her strength. So she has an assistant who takes care of that. Um, she has her life organized such that she... Um, has a keyboard with uh, that that has pre-programmed keys that make it easier for her um, to avoid unforced errors. That's her okay. language, right? So the tennis language. Yeah, yeah. Her yeah. whole trading life is set up to avoid unforced errors. So when we look again at what I said at the beginning, the um, the situation that most retail traders have that they're completely unrealistic in what it takes to succeed, that they need, that they think they need to be perfect, look at the personal development industry, get up at four o'clock and meditate, have this perfect body, 
drink kale all day, eat chia seeds, like, you know, <laughs> drink five liters of water and pray and, you know, yeah. this, this, yeah. Um, this level don't of, have a life. <laughs> yeah, don't have a life, right? It's like, don't, don't you, don't you dare um, interfering with my chocolates, you know, <laughs> I have them, I don't care. Um, but so if we accept that we are flawed human beings, and there has been so much research. I'm just reading a German book. It's called um, Fascination Psychology. It's not in English, unfortunately. And he has like 300 pages of experimental research on how we humans screw up our lives because of our genetics. Um, if you look at Daniel Kahneman, right, um, thinking fast and slow. Yeah. Um, the same, you know, where he talks about how people make bad decisions. Um, um, because we haven't learned how to use our mind to its best, for example. And, okay, a few of the experiments were a little bit flawed as well because we human beings are flawed, so of course some of the experiments were flawed. But the big picture message that he wants to give is that we are naturally flawed. We need to understand what our flaws are, are and then work with them. And that's what Linda yeah. has done. She expects... It's really interesting because, you know, I've spoke about this before. I, I use a, a psychometric called the risk type compass, yeah. um, which I, I analyze all my traders when I use it. I, I mean, I, I hate pigeonholing people. Um, so I'm always a little bit cautious about how I use it. But yeah. what I did is I analyzed a group of different traders and to see if there were any patterns in their results in their risk type compasses. And there were clear patterns that traders who traded in certain ways came out in a certain area on this risk type compass. Yeah, and I've noticed that traders who are, who are struggling are often trading a style or a method or an approach which isn't really compatible with their personality. And then when we move them over to trading a way where, where it's compatible with their personality, then they start making a lot more money. It's a little bit like that, you know, you, you, you describe it earlier where you have the guy who's not built for sprinting, right, who's yeah. trying to be a sprinter. And you say, well, listen, if you go into the long distance events, you're more likely to succeed because you have to use less energy to get further. You know, and, and then suddenly we see this and these guys just start going on. And it's not just that, it's also changing their routine and their environment to suit their personality. So a little bit like you described with Linda, she's changed her keyboard. You know, that, that's behavioral architecture to suit her personality. Yeah. Uh, and what, what's interesting here is that this is not about male-female. This is about personality. So it's personality-driven process. Um, and having that honesty of knowing what your true personal traits are, your personal strengths are, your your, I guess, most optimal trading style. Um, that's genius. That's been going back to, you know, what is driving you at a personal level? What, what, what are your traits? What are your strengths? Okay, let's map that out. Da, 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 da. Irrespective of culture, irrespective of male or female, you know, on this weather vane, your optimization should be pointed in this direction in terms of how you're trading. That is how, um, in my view, Traders across the genre should be, or people running businesses, and that's including people running their own, um, should be looking at um, 
their teams or themselves to understand how they apply themselves to the market, where they apply themselves to the market, what safeguards I guess they need to put around themselves because of personal traits, but it's down to personality. And behavior. That's stunned you into silence. <laughs> that was exactly. such beautiful parting and that, words, Mark. I, I think that just really summed up the whole conversation, and that's yeah, why. I, I think that um, you know the sort of behavior comes from personality as well, um, and personality is uh, is part of what we've learned through life, part of what our I, I guess our hormones have done to us in terms of our condition at the time. And of course, our personality varies. You know, we, we can be, we can drift into a negative mindset, even if we're the most practiced mindfulness guy on the planet. But it's how we recover from that and get ourselves back into being optimal. And I suppose... I think we would have to define uh, what personality is so that we, ah. we have the same level playing field. Well, um, it's, it's to exactly. me, personality is the genetic... Um, predisposition mm. um, and behavior is what we have learned from our environment um, that that's how I personally define it uh, but yeah, I, yeah. I find I, I realized you have a little bit of a different definition and so it's probably a conversation for another we could do a 10 hour conversation on, on what is personality but you know it, it, I'm glad it, we moved we away from male and female <laughs> If we talk about personality, and there was something you said, um, Mandy, about ego, and you know, it brings in ego and personality, which is that idea of having the big ego, but then being humble in work. Now, one of my personal heroes was Muhammad Ali. Mm -hmm. Okay, he was a larger-than-life personality, and if you get down to it, and you've read books about him, and I have, he was actually underneath it a very, very humble person. And that now, what's your was, definition of ego, though, Stephen? He, well, to him, he presented outwardly, mm. you know, and he, he would use that ego almost to bully people as part of a tactic before they got in the ring. Yeah, but is it people. ego or was it a tactic? It's interesting, actually. You're, you're, ah, you're right. Yeah. I, I, I think he was someone who, you know, in my own belief, he was, you know, he was someone who a lot of the time had very, very little ego. But at other times, his ego got the better of him. So, you know, but he what is ego? Price. What is your definition of ego? So if, if a five-year-old child asks Stephen, what's ego? How would you explain that? I, I would say, in my definition, it's about how much you think of yourself and your own self-importance mm -hmm. over other people and your entitlement, okay. your sense of entitlement. You know, sort of bringing... If you think you're entitled to succeed based on nothing other than how much you value yourself, you know, and, and again, if we discuss ego, there's lots of different dis discussions, you know, but my, one of my favorite books on this topic was The Inner Game of Tennis. I don't know if you've read that. Yeah, yeah. I read The Inner Galway. Game of Golf, actually, not um, tennis. Yeah, huh? so it, it's the same book applied to a different yeah. sport. Mm. Um and he talks about it quite often, you know, as your two selves. Um, the self one, which is really capable, almost the unconscious self. And then you have this conscious self, which comes in. And I don't think he quite defines it as ego, but I interpreted it as that. Mm -hmm. 
you know that this conscious self that you're trying to it's trying to protect you you know it has a good purpose it has this purpose to protect you from the world um and, and to give you um a kind of a self-importance that helps you but it also gets in the way in trading and it, it gets in the way of your natural abilities you know for me when my ego comes into play you know even as a coach i won't coach as well when i'm worried about how good i look mm -hmm. so i have to suspend that when i traded you know if my ego was how do i look to other people how do they view me my trading was never as good because i was now driven to present myself in a positive light to others rather than do what was necessary to succeed mm -hmm. that was kind of my interpretation of ego sorry go on sorry so key two keywords um for me um really um are the same definition for ego so one was the um lack of vulnerability so not being able to um being vulnerable around our failures and shortcomings yeah and um the other one the on the flip side to that driven by the fear of vulnerability is to the need to present ourselves in a certain way um to the outside world and when we now look at the topic of the ability of taking a loss or not um, um, I have a few friends who are brokers, and they both, um, two friends, <laughs> and both said to me the same thing. You know, the main reason why traders um, bump their accounts and don't succeed is because they don't take their losses. Nothing else. And they're martingale into their losses, right? These two, only these two um, behavioral patterns lead to continuous um, failure in trading which is great, right? Because on the flip side, if you can manage to overcome those two behavioral patterns, then you have won. It's not necessarily the skill. It's, it's the just doing those two things right. Now, the fear of vulnerability, in my opinion, is leading to the inability to take a loss and because it's incredibly vulnerable to having to take a loss. And yes. what um, then consequently... Um, the impact it has on our need to present ourselves in a certain way to the external world. Even though we know that no one would see our trading statements, it is still so strong in us. Well, well you know it. Therefore, yeah. you know, you, you're, you're fighting with yourself. Exactly. It's a false ego, isn't it? It's, um, it's, it, it's as you mentioned, it's, it's, it's tactical can be used as a weapon, um, you know, to, in certain circumstances. But, of course, if your background mindset is vulnerable and is, uh, is more balanced, then you're, you're, you're going to have difficulties with that, you know, kind of maintain that front, you know, the energy needed to maintain an e a false ego to try to convey that, you know, all is well and uh, I'm fine and that, uh, I'm making money when in the background, you know, you're having multi days of losses. That <clears throat> that energy difference, you know, the fact that you're you're having to really use so much mental energy to keep that false facade 
it's going to destroy your future trading prospects as well because, of course, you need, you need to be as optimal as possible to trade. And if you're spending your time trying to massage your ego and what people think of you, then, yeah. you know, it's going to be a recipe for a disaster. Yeah, yeah then my, my biggest trading losses. Yeah. yeah, my biggest trading losses occurred when my ego became involved, you know, with what I was doing. And it's not just my trading losses, colleagues I've seen the mm. same thing. You know, the biggest disasters always had a large element of ego um, as probably the biggest ingredient in that loss. Yeah, and so if you define that again, the fear of how the outside world would perceive us yeah and that causes inability to behave and where is that coming from well it's coming from how we were being brought up were you always being reprimanded for doing uh, making a mistake like something little so i i um i love watching how um, families communicate with each other like i was traveling a lot last few months and you know, I sit at the airport and the train and I listen how they communicate with each other. So um, someone, um, so mother said to child, um, a teenager, come, we, we get something to eat. Teenager is on the phone. Um, mother gets impatient with teenager. Teenager is like, yeah, I'm coming. And then mother gets aggressive to child again, right? So really dysfunctional way of communicating with each other. And then it turned out that um, the child was just, um, or teenager was just responding to the father. So rather than saying to the mother, give me please one minute, I'm just responding to dad, the child responded with aggression. Where did the child learn it from? And what is going on for the child that the child wasn't able to articulate it to the mother? That to me is lack of vulnerability. That to me is aggression that um, is driven by um, um, rebellion or you know some sort of um, having to be a certain way and not being able to live up to that. Like if you take that to a really really big picture. Because, you know, I wow! Didn't know the wow! I, I'll tell you what. We, we go, Mark. Sorry. <laughs> I think I think that's one example of where ego comes from. But I've seen ego appear from people that have become too, success, too successful too quickly. Mm -hmm. And that their way of handling that is, is that this ego comes from nowhere. This ego, is, they suddenly, you know, they're the king, they're, they're, they're the guy, they're the dude, they've got the stuff. Um, and uh, look what I've got, look what you haven't got. And yeah. the, the, the ego um, and, and the people that I've seen go on that journey were, were didn't start off that way, but success or too much success too quickly, and the not having the mindset and the processing and self control to manage that success led to it actually being their downfall, because the ego then took over. They lost their friends, they lost their social connectivity, and then they started to lose money. And now we can look at it again. These are the people who have no healthy, strong inner world because they define themselves through the, um, the success that they had in the external world that was taken away for a moment that was a threat to the ego. And that goes back to um, what I was saying at the beginning. When we go through divorce, when we have a losing run, 
that has an impact on our identity, how we see ourselves. So when we go through divorce or the guy who bought the business, for example, um, then we have to redefine our identity. And then there's this gap right between who we knew ourselves to be, who we now are, and who we want to be. Yeah, I, I always say to people, don't let your success or your failure define you. Um, it, it's much easier to say than to actually do. <laughs> you know, you, you can, you know, it, it's, it, it is true though. And if you can somehow hold on to that yeah. and somehow remember that. And I, I you know, I, I have a poem um, and I have it upon my wall now and I've had it at the front of all my trading journals that I used to read whenever I got either ahead of myself or I recognized myself getting ahead of myself or when I was really struggling that would remind me that I'm not defined by this loss or this bad trade. Yeah. Um, and it was the poem If by Rudyard Kipling. And uh, I know a yeah, lot of other traders, yeah, a lot of other traders have told me they use that poem or they use a similar poem to ground them. And it, it, mm -hmm. it, this, this is, again, we go back to that word I used, behavioral architecture. You know, having things in your environment that can remind you at those key moments that can ground you and bring you back to yourself. And again, I think that poem was a contribution to my success at times, or at least the reading of it, as much as was my analysis of the markets. Yeah, and um, I, I, I love this because that is also going back to routines and habits. And this is something that Linda is really strong at. Like she says, her routines and her habits are the key, the driving force for her success as well. And she's very protective of that, of her habits and routines. She's on the computer an hour and a half before, so she started, um, we were, what, we started 6.30 in Chicago yeah. and uh, to prepare and then stayed an hour back to, yeah. um, to finish up the day. Yeah. And, um, she says if she doesn't have enough sleep, she knows she's not performing. So yeah. she's very protective of her sleep as well. Um, she knows everything that throws her, so she makes sure that she is um, um, protecting herself from that. So on the flip side also, um, you would use the, the, the poem from Kidling to keep yourself in, in peak performance. Uh, yeah. Linda would go riding her horses because that's meditative for her. Yes. So she doesn't sit and meditate, but she goes and spends time with her horses. Yeah. She needs I used, that. I used to go running sort of late morning. Yeah. And that would always do that for me. And yeah. um, I know some people use meditation and uh, you know, Ray Dalio is, uh, is religious about it. Um, and you know, a lot of other top traders, I've got some guys that use meditation. Ah. Um, and also, that was something that uh, Tim Ferriss wrote in Tools of Titans. He said 80% of those titans that he interviewed, they had strong routines. And part of the strong routine was meditation and or mindfulness. Yeah. And that yeah. was non-negotiable. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm conscious. Go on, Mark. Go on, Mark. This is your space. <laughs> well, I, I think it is vital. I think in, interpretation of what uh, mindfulness and meditation is from person to person does vary. I think the example of Linda riding her horses is, is, is a vital example. 
Um, it means many things to different people, and understanding that do what's best for you is 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 the um, I guess the bottom line. But also having a a process around doing something. Um, it's important to be doing something to be managing yourself. Um, particularly if you're a sole trader, a day trader at home, and you haven't got that social connectivity to, you know, to, to plug into so readily, you need to be managing, you know, how your day goes. There, there is this. I mean, I think you mentioned it a moment ago that some people wake up at four o'clock in the morning to meditate for two hours. I, I'd say, to be honest with you, it's better to get eight hours sleep a night. Um, than to wake up super early and meditate because the, the REM during sleep is where your brain resets itself and readies itself yeah. with, with energy for the next day. I think some people are kind of cutting themselves out of sleep to go and meditate. Um, <laughs> but, you, you know, I think um, if, if it works for them, great. But the sleep is more important than meditation um, f from a nighttime perspective. However, managing yourself during the day with little bits and pieces of of um of metro awareness to um you know going out and tuning into your senses on a walk on a dog walk on a on a walk at lunchtime or getting out at lunchtime and, and stepping away and having a break is so important often neglected you know trading rooms kind of suck people into a, a permanent desk uh position you watch the market you don't want to move away from the market um yeah, and it's that almost like a bravery people, award isn't it yeah, who can stay the longest and it's like no, it's, that's not how it's it works. toxic. It's a toxic environment that works yeah. against you if you don't take these breaks. Now, you know, like I could talk for weeks about you know what meditation means, be it you know what's very common out in the celebrity world of the U.S., which is transcendental meditation. Uh, yes, uh, yes. What's more prevalent here in the evolving side of Europe is more clinical-based mindfulness. Mm -hmm. I think even if, if you're in the trading world and you and you, and you want to connect to uh, someone to talk about trader-based mind fitness, then you need to be speaking to, uh, then give Steve and I a, uh, an email and we can we can go through a program with you about that. Um, it is about doing something that's authentic, something that's got the right background thinking behind it, something that is meaningful and sculpted around, like Steve said about the behavioral side of what sort of trader are you, then you know what, what works for you in terms of uh, the ability to be, be more conscious uh, in what you do from day to day, because if you, if you can manage that, your optimization just goes through the roof. Um, your health goes through the roof. Your positivity increases, and if you're positive, you're happy, and if you're happy, you tend to be healthy. If you're positive, yeah. happy, and healthy, you're probably a better trader, because if you're unhealthy and you're negative, then you've got so much baggage going on, you're having to try to deal with as well as analyze the market, you're not going to see the opportunities. Um, so, yeah, my, mindfulness, critical meditation, and however you want to interpret that, yeah, designed around you know your personal preferences, um, I'd say absolutely vital. We're now learning it's vital to manage yourself from a mental perspective. And, yeah, I can understand why uh, all these billionaires uh, and, and huge successful people meditate I think they also play golf as well, Steve. Don't they? Isn't it all the billionaires play golf as well as meditate? There's this sort of common connection. Golf is kind of a mindful game anyway. So if, you, if yeah. anyone wants to talk about mindful golf, then uh, my number's below. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, <laughs> I'm conscious of the time. That, and if you take that um, 
um, to the next uh, one step further, right? Mindfulness meditation. Sorry, Stephen, um, just one more point. Um, <laughs> but so when I see traders who don't take their losses or who um, don't let their profits run, they're either in the future or in the past, right? So they're either regret-driven or they fear the future, right? The future regret. Like, you know, so many elements to that. But let's keep it really simple. They're either in the future or in the past, but not yeah. in the present. Yeah. Mindfulness meditation gives you the ability to 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 um, catch yourself really quickly when your mind drifts to the future or the past. Yeah. You need to be in the present in order to make really good decisions whilst you understand how to study consequences of your behavior right now. And so I always say my biggest downfall is what I call superhero syndrome, superwoman syndrome I used to call it, but let's stay politically <laughs> correct for you boys and everyone. That's everyone. Superhero syndrome where I had a really good run and then I think I'm a superhero and um, my focus goes um, into the future, how great I am, and then I start making mistakes. And then that vicious, and then, you know, we go into the past with regret, and then the vicious behavior starts, right? My goal is, with everything that I do, to inoculate myself. So, again, Linda calls it protect herself from unforced errors. I call it inoculating myself from making mistakes by feeling um, well in advance when I'm at risk of doing stupid things, like my superhero syndrome. I feel it creeping up. It's a little voice in the back of my mind without mindfulness and without meditation. So I'm not big on meditation, I have to admit. Um, I just started with meditation because I said to someone, a really good friend of mine in Australia, that our oh, meditation, you know, not my thing, it's too hard. And he laughed at me and he said, well, if you say it's too hard, then it's like saying um, you don't go to the gym because the weights are too heavy. The point of meditation is because it's hard so that you can grow. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I take that. Um, and <laughs> so um, mindfulness meditation is super useful to be so self-aware because you're present in the moment and you can feel when something goes out of whack, when you need to stop. Exactly. And of course, in, in your life in general, whatever you're doing, the only moment that you are alive and in control of anything is in the present moment. Yeah, exactly. And with that, at this present moment, um, I'm conscious that we are well over the hour we scheduled. And we should probably bring this to, I could carry on for ages if I'm honest, but we should probably bring it to an end. But, you know, thank you, Mandy. I'm, I'm gonna, any final thoughts you'd like to add, Mandy? Um, yeah. Whatever it is, wherever you are, whatever challenges you face, be present in the moment and deal with it. Frustrating is the best job in the world with all the challenges that come with it. Still the best. And I believe anyone can become successful, not to the levels like Linda. I think Linda's is a lot genetic, um, a little bit genetic as well, like, you know, Serena Williams or Roger Federer. But we, we don't need to be on that level of success. You know, having a good life as a trader, you know, even making, I don't know, 10,000 a month, that is already a good life. It doesn't need to be a million a month. And I believe anyone can do it. So keep working on yourself. Keep working on finding your system. Um, 
And I believe when you have not worked on yourself, when you have a mess in your life, when you don't have clarity, then you will not find the right system for you. You need to clean up your life first in order to be able to find a system, a trading strategy, methodology that works and to make it work. That's wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for the yeah, invitation. Yeah, that was fun, no? <laughs> yeah, I loved um, having conversation with colleagues. Shared a lot. I, absolutely. As I said, you know, we, how much chance do we get speaking with other colleagues? Um, so rare. So rare. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'd like to have you back, perhaps, perhaps as a future guest again next year. Yeah, it would be great. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think you've got so much about, you know, there's so much wisdom within what you say. And it's it, there's alternative perspectives as well, which I, you know, I've written down some of them, which I've never even considered. Yeah, and, so, and you know, the same same with you. I, um, I always say we all have our genius. You have your genius. I have my genius. Um, Denise has her genius. Um, Mark yeah. Douglas had his genius. Um yeah, absolutely. Uh, Denise, Denise is another one I want to have on one day. I mean, I, you absolutely. know, I think she, she'd be great. But listen, thank you so much, Mandy. It's been great having you as a guest. Thank you. Thank you once again to Mandy on behalf of myself and Mark. And thank you for listening to the Alpha Mind podcast today. I'm sure you'll agree Mandy was a great guest. And if you want to know more about her, you can check her out on her website. That's www.tradingpsychology.com.au. A few books were mentioned in the podcast and quite often people contact us after the podcasts to say they never quite caught the name of that book. So I'm going to mention some of the books. The first one was The Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss, The Inner Game of Tennis and The Inner Game of Golf by Tim Galway and Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. We have a page on our blog which lists many books which are useful and interesting for trader mindset. The blog can be found at alphamindblog.blogspot.com and there are some page links at the top of the screen. One of them is about trader mindset books. We've also added a couple of other ones there. One is other podcasts which are useful for traders and a recent one we've added which is books and courses on technical analysis. Uh, currently for myself, I'm reading Atomic Habits by James Clear. Now many people have contacted us about this book saying this is an excellent book for traders. It's not specifically about trading so I, um, I downloaded it on my Kindle and I can only say that I have not been disappointed. It is an outstanding book. I just mentioned our, our blog, our growing blog. Again just as a reminder this is alphamindblog.blogspot.com and we have a number of articles that I've written over recent months and in fact over a, a few years and uh, there's articles which which, which traders will find interesting. We are also on social media. I can be found at AlphaMind101 on Twitter. And Mark can be found at the Mind Guys on Twitter. Uh, we also have a website, alpha-mind.net, where you can find out a little bit more about us. And we also have a LinkedIn group, the AlphaMind LinkedIn group, with over 15,000 members. You can also check out some of our previous podcasts. And, you know, particularly if you enjoyed today's podcast, uh, a recent one, episode 10, was with Dr. Brett Steenbarger, who is who's probably the foremost expert on, on trading psychology, I should think, in the world. And that's a brilliant podcast. And we, we discussed lots of, lots of similar issues from a slightly different angle on that one. As a reminder, we would be thrilled if you could rate us on iTunes and if you could share this with your fellow traders and colleagues. And that just leads me to say thank you once again for listening. Good luck and good trading. <laughs>